The following message is a teaching by Dr. Jason DeRoshi, professor of Old Testament and Biblical Theology at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find more information about Jason at www.jasonderoshi.com. I had a handful of conversations this week. <clears throat> they were very kind conversations. Just about the fact that when I start talking, it's often difficult to ask questions. And I just want to encourage you, even if DeRoshi feels like he's on a roll, don't, don't hesitate to raise your hand. I may say, give me a few minutes and I'll get back to that, or we may be able to jump right into it. But I, as, as you've got um, brain cells working and different connections in Scripture come to mind, or as questions come, be bold and don't hesitate to ask uh, and I, I just want there to be a, a freedom for you to do that. Isaiah 51, 1 through 8. Let's read it together. And I'm going to read it off of my handout. And then I'm going to pray again. Isaiah 51, 1 through 8. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. Surely the Lord has comforted Zion. He has comforted all her waste places and has made her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the voice of song. Give attention to me, my people, and my population. To me, give ear, for a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the people's. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples, the coastlands, hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath, for the heavens have vanished like smoke, and the earth will wear out like a garment, and they who inhabit it will die in like manner, but my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings, for the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool, but my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations." Now, God, meet us once again, opening ears, helping our hearts embrace the call that you give us to listen, to pay attention. Awaken us that we might heed your charge. May we be followers of the servant Savior. In Christ I pray. Amen. Now, first thing I want to do is recall for us 
a, a few key realities that we engage when we open up the book of Isaiah. Number one, that this book is not principally written for Isaiah's peers. Who is blind but my servant Israel? Who is deaf, no ears to hear, as my messenger? God had placed the nation, the servant nation, in the midst of the world. Ezekiel 5.5, God put Jerusalem in the center of the earth, and yet they have rebelled against me. He put them there to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, to have an influence outwardly, but it didn't happen. Isaiah's audience was blind and deaf. He sees many things, but does not observe them. He hears many things, and yet he doesn't hear. His ears are open. He remains deaf. And the vision of all that I've been speaking in this book has become to them, or Isaiah talking to his people, it's become to you like the words of a book that's sealed. Like, I can't, I can't get into it. When men give the book of Isaiah to one who can read, saying, read this, To him, he says, I can't read it. It's sealed. That's what it was like for Isaiah's audience. They didn't have eyes to see, supernatural light to open themselves up to see and embrace the words of Isaiah. This book is not primarily addressing Isaiah's contemporaries. It's addressing us. In that future day, when the servant Savior arrives, I'm going to do a a transforming work, a a sense-changing work. Those that didn't have eyes will now be able to see. Those who, who had deaf ears will all of a sudden have them opened so that this book is readable, this book is understandable, that when I speak to them, it matters to their heart. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. We're living in that day of healing. Now, Isaiah, all that you've been speaking, go write it down before all your contemporaries. Put it on a tablet. Inscribe it in a book. That's what we have right here. The book of Isaiah. Not right here. It's more like... Right here. Put it in a book. That it may not be for now, but for a time to come as a witness. For they are a rebellious people, lying children, unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. His audience unwilling to hear. Put it in a book for a future generation. So as we approach Isaiah 51, I want you to recognize that this is principally written for you. Paul says, all that was written in former times was written for us, 1 Corinthians 10, upon whom the end of the ages has come. It was written for us. The Old Testament is Christian Scripture designed to awaken us, written in the period of the Old Covenant before Christ came, but written for those living after the coming of Christ. 
to speak to us in a way that would move us in order that we might hunger and thirst more for the righteousness of God and see and savor the beauties of Jesus in ways that Isaiah's audience did not. We want to be those who pursue righteousness the right way. Here's Paul, Romans 9. What shall we say then? That there's a bunch of Gentile believers out there who did not pursue righteousness, yet have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. Christ's righteousness counted as theirs. Their sins counted to Christ. The great exchange. Gentiles who, without pursuing righteousness by works, have all of a sudden been viewed, being treated as if they were righteous. Because they, they gain it by faith. And yet Israel, the nation, pursued a law that would lead to righteousness. Do this and live. Do this and it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this law. Deuteronomy 6.25 It will be righteousness for us. It will be counted that. God will look upon our perfect obedience and He'll say that is righteousness. But Israel couldn't do it. But Jesus representing Israel, indeed representing the whole world, His perfect life of obedience, His perfect surrender to God, His perfect life of living for the glory of God, is indeed counted for what it is, righteousness. It aligns with right order in reality, wherein God is at the top, He is most glorified, that's right order. And God says, that's the life of Christ, He is righteous. And then His righteousness is counted to us, all by faith. But Israel, the nation, they pursued a law that would have led to that righteous declaration, yet they did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based by works. We come now to our text. So, you've got Isaiah 51 open. Let your eye wander up to verse 10 of Isaiah 50. Just two verses before our passage begins. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of His servant? That's the servant Savior, the servant person, Messiah Jesus. Let the one who fears the Lord and obeys the voice of His servant, let the one walking in darkness who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on His God. This word here for obeys is the word listen. Now often if you're a good listener, that means you're a good obeyer. These two go hand in hand. And the ESV has translated the the word listen as obey. But that's the word that we have here. It's the exact same word that begins Isaiah 51.1. Listen. Listen. So, there's the connection between verse 10 and verse 1 of our chapter. Who among you fears the Lord and listens to the voice? Are you a listener to the voice of the servant? He's the teacher. And he himself has been taught by God. We saw that in verse 4 of chapter 50. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught in order to sustain those who are weary with a word. So the weary 
have ears to hear. He's coming to the weary. They have ears to hear. They're listening to what he's teaching. Listening to the voice of the servant. And and it's awakening a fear of God within them. Our passage, as I'm thinking about how is it all hooked together, I want us to see that there's three calls and three charges, but each of the calls are related to verse 10. Are you among those who listen to the voice of the servant? Verse 1, listen to me. You who pursue righteousness. Each one of these has a a statement of address. Who's he talking to that follows the command? Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Then, verse 4, give attention, pay attention to me, my true people. And then verse 7, we get listen again. Listen to me, you who know righteousness. So, we have the pursuers of righteousness. And remember, that, that's the exact same language that we saw in Rome, that I just had up on the screen in Romans 9. The Gentiles who did, who did not pursue righteousness, pursue righteousness, have attained it. Whereas Israel, who did pursue a law that would lead to righteousness, a law unto righteousness, did not attain it. Why? Because they didn't pursue it by faith. I think when Isaiah says in Isaiah 51, listen, you who pursue righteousness, he's calling those who are serious about God, to pursue it in the right way. He mentions the pursuers of righteous. Next, he mentions God's true people. Give attention to me, my people. He's talking not to the deaf, but to those who have ears to hear. And therefore, I think that this part of Isaiah... At one level, he's talking to his peers, but most of them are deaf. We've already seen that. This is principally for those who've been awakened, who've already experienced a kind of change in their lives. And God has grafted us into that transforming work. Most of us, assuming most of us are Gentiles in this room, been grafted into the hopes because we've been grafted into Christ, who is Israel. He represents the nation. And all that God was promising to do for the nation, He would do through Israel. And we, in our incorporation into the ultimate Israelite, Jesus, get to enjoy all the benefits, including ears to hear. The word is, give attention to me, my people. A specific group, as if there's a people within the people. Most of the people are... Deaf and dumb and blind. But then there's a people who can hear. And finally, those who know righteousness by faith. Back in verse 10, notice it's not simply who among you fears the Lord and obeys, that is, listens to the voice. The call is trust. The call is rely. All of these are 
By faith pursuing righteousness. By faith my people. By faith knowing righteousness. I I think that's how we're supposed to understand it. These are people who are captured by trust and reliance. Now notice that each of these has a call. Listen, pay attention, listen. But then in each of these sections, the call to listen or to pay attention is followed by the actual charge. He's trying to get their attention, but then that's not the main point. The point isn't just to listen, the point is to act. In the the same way that in Deuteronomy 6 it begins, Hear, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love. The goal is to get us to love, but you'll only love if you've heard rightly there is only one God. There is only one causer, only one judge. Yahweh is one, and you should love Him with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Here, each one of these calls to listen or pay attention has an actual charge. So look at the text. In 51... After it says, listen to me, here's the main point. If they listen, now here's the command. Look. Look to the rock from which you were hewn. Verse 4. Pay attention to me. Well, what am I supposed to get? It comes in verse 6. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look to the earth beneath at a world that is being punished by God. Then, verse 7, listen to me. Okay, what do you want me to hear? It comes at the second half of verse 7. Fear not the reproach of man. That's the main point. If you can hear, here's what I want you to heed. So I've got three different sections. So what I'm doing here is, what's all, how do I put all this together? What's the structure of the whole? And so, looking at these units, I'm able to break it down this way. This is how I understand the passage hanging together. A charge to consider how God can make much from little. That's what we focused on last time. Today we're going to pick up in the second part, beginning in verse 4. Pay attention. Give attention. A charge to look through global punishment to eternal salvation. And finally, a charge to not fear man's reproach. And each of these units has the call Listen, pay attention, listen, and then the content of what's to be heeded if you have your senses awakened. So that's the structure that we're working through. We're going to begin today in verse 4 after this question. I was just going to observe that these, that even though you can divide this world to whom where the speech has been directed, that there are people who can hear and people who can't hear. The very nature of this language, even directed to those who can hear, kind of presumes an incapacity, a distraction, a befuddlement, a confusion. Like when you say, if you're talking to a child about some thing, and you finally interject into the conversation, listen to me. Basically, okay, now we're going to stop chatting about it. We're going to stop. I'm going to tell you something here that is conclusive. And we said, well, even the way that you're talking to us today, so you're, you're talking in a very educational way, but at some point you come to us and you say, oh, listen to me. Any daydreaming that we're doing, anything else we're doing, okay, okay, well, you got it. And so 
there's, there's something, it seems to me, that is suggested about, even about the hearers. That's good. So the, the implication in the very nature that you've got to precede the content with a call assumes the proneness to wander, Lord, I feel it, assumes the, that there's other voices competing with this voice and that distraction is very easy, even for those who have ears to hear. That's, that's very, very helpful. Pay attention. My people. We begin in verse 4. A charge to look through global punishment to eternal salvation. Now initially, I, I missed the global punishment part. And you might not even see it there. Give attention to me, my people. Give ear to my nation. For a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near. My salvation is gone out. Verse 6, lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. That's the punishment. We'll get there. We begin with this. A call for God's true people to pay attention. He says, give attention, my people. Listen up, my nation. So God has a certain group that apparently stands in distinction from others. This, my nation, my people, he's talking to Israel here, it appears. Those associated with Israel, he's called them, I will be your God, you will be my people since the book of Exodus, where they were first designated as a nation. And yet, most of them don't have ears to hear. And then, working through time, with Jesus as representative of the nation, all of a sudden, things happen. I, I, I'm thinking about John chapter 6, where Jesus says this, citing Isaiah 54, 13. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You can't come to Jesus, be by Jesus, unless the Father has acted first and worked on you because all of us are dead and dead people can't live, dead people can't think, dead people can't breathe, dead people can't move. Unless God says, the very one who said, let light shine out of the darkness, unless he says, Lazarus, come forth. Unless God draws him, no one comes to Jesus. And that's why we pray for the salvation of others because God's the one who has to act, so we're asking him to act and draw them in, draw them to Jesus. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, Isaiah fifty-four thirteen, and they will all be taught by God. Then Jesus says this, Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So if you've come to Jesus today, you've heard something. You've been taught something by God. He's already acted on your behalf. It's rebirth. It's justification. No one can hear unless someone preaches to them. 
Someone preached to you. And you may have been deaf, 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 and all of a sudden, ears were opened and you heard it. You heard deep down inside, something changed in your soul. Because the Father was instructing you in such a way that He was overcoming all your resistance. Removing your sensory disability and enabling something. And you came to Jesus because you heard something. This people here are those that, I I think we're going to see it even more clearly, are those who can hear. Give attention. Now, Moses and Isaiah can do the kind of call to people where their hearts are hard. Moses can say, this law that I'm commanding today shall be on your heart. You, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and stop being stubborn. You've got a heart problem, a heart sickness. You do heart surgery on yourself. He can command it and yet later can say, God hasn't given you eyes to hear or ears to, sorry, eyes to see or ears to hear or a heart to understand. God can command and yet not enable. But I think this group is a group that he's commanding that he's assuming he's also giving the ability to. We're going to see that because there's already change in them. The law is already in their heart. Give attention to me, my people. Give ear. Elsewhere we see, even in the Old Testament, what appears to be an Israel within, the, within Israel. Truly, God is good to Israel... Everyone, comma, no, to those who are pure in heart. And then the psalmist goes on to talk about how all surrounding him are a bunch of wicked Israelites whose end is certain. And he was growing deeply discouraged because he wasn't seeing their end. He just felt like they were thriving and growing. And all of a sudden, I went to the temple and God reminded me that their end is sure. And my heart was encouraged, he says. He's Israel within Israel. Here's Isaiah 45. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. All of them? All Israel will be justified. Really? Hebrews chapter 3 says, All of Israel in Moses' day died in the wilderness because they didn't have ears to hear and they disobeyed. They died. They were judged by God. All Israel will be, future tense, justified. Not all Israel, all the offspring of Israel. And and I think the answer is yes, because this is Isaiah 45. In Isaiah 49.3, he identifies that the servant Savior's name is Israel. The servant Savior person is Israel, whose responsibility it is to save Israel the servant nation Israel, the people are Israel, the person is Israel, and the offspring of Israel will be saved. Are you an offspring of the servant person whose name is Israel? All who are his offspring will be justified. Here's Paul. No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision getting rid of all that is hostile to God, all that looks like the nations, circumcised hearts. 
Circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. So, when it says, give attention to me, my people, I'm thinking maybe he's envisioning a people within the, the broader people. A people who can hear in contrast to the majority who can't hear in his day. And then looking through Christ to an entire people who have ears to hear. It's so interesting for me the language of this because um, uh, it began with the idea that uh, Isaiah was called to write um, these words in a book. And uh, he's called to people who can't hear and aren't able to see, but write it in a book. And then all of a sudden the word became flesh. The word, you know, became flesh. And in here, uh, circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. What's the letter but words? I mean, it's like, and, and so what has changed is that Christ coming, his, his life, his, resurre- his death, his resurrection, split history from before Christ after Christ. I mean, it's split history. And when the word became flesh, that's the whole sea change in, in, in biblical history, in human history. I, I just find that, that whole idea of the word so infused through the word, it's just, it's just so powerful. If the word remains outside of us, there's no change. But so, so it's by the spirit, the word who became flesh enters us, changes us from within. Look at verse 4. Pay attention. Who? My people. Why should I listen? Because, here it is, the reason why they need to pay attention, why we should pay attention, for I've got instructions for you to follow. You want to head the right way? A law is going to go out from me, and I will set justice for light to the people's. I will set my justice for a light. There is much justice that is not justice at all. It's darkness. Yet the hope is, listen to me, follow me, because I am one who rights wrongs, who overcomes darkness with light. And I have an instruction unlike any other. I want you to see in Isaiah, by the time we get up to this point, there's already been this fusion of this language. God's promised He's going to do this, and He's also promised that He's going to do it through His servant Savior. So that now, when we read this, a law will go out from me, I will set my justice for a light to the peoples, we already have a framework for understanding it in this book. God, through His royal servant, is the only hope for true order and justice in this world. Here was, like, first month, or second month. I think it took us a month to get through chapter 1. Many people shall come and say, Hey, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways, that we may walk in His paths. Jerusalem... And I proposed when we got here a more ultimate Jerusalem than anything that's across the sea right now. The ultimate place where God is actually dwelling, 
Jesus said, I'm the temple, and then that temple went to go sit at the right hand of the Father. Peoples will come and say, let us go to the mountain of the house of the Lord, to the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways, that we may walk in His paths. Why? For out of Zion will go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And this God, this Lord, will judge between the nations and decide disputes among peoples and all their weapons will get turned into garden tools. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war. God says... I am going to speak in a way that others are going to want to hear. And out from me is going to be true justice. Then later he says this. It's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. Yes, the servant Savior. You know him as Jesus. Yahweh saves I have put my spirit upon him, and he is the one who will bring forth justice. God says, I will bring justice through my servant. I'll bring it to the nations. He will not cry loud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice over the entire earth, which means he's still not weary now. He's still working on behalf of the broken, on the behalf of the oppressed. The coastlands wait for his instruction, his law. Make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey what? All that I commanded, Jesus says. He's the instructor. We're the followers. From Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, the call is going out. And the church is the temple that is expanded to fill the entire globe. People don't have to go to a certain place anymore to meet God. He's not bound to a building He's made a people a building so that when people encounter us, they see images of the very living God in us. They can meet Jesus by meeting us. They can encounter the presence of God by encountering us. And through us, the instruction of God is going forth. I think that's exactly what Isaiah was envisioning. God, through His royal servant, is the only hope for true order, for true justice. Give attention. Why? For a law will go out from Me, and I will set justice for a light to the peoples. God's righteousness, His saving arm, is near. He says, My law will go out, and I'm going to establish justice. Now He explains what he means by that, I believe. Chris? My question has to do about verse 4 and the explanation of it, but maybe you'll explain it in verse 5. So I'll ask my question and you might answer my question. Okay. But verse 4, there's two different verbs used about this law or instruction. So go out from me and then I'll set my justice. So I'm just wondering about the direction. It seems like, is this a missionary going or a 
So is it a missionary going or is it a beacon lighthouse? And the sense I get is it's yes. In the Old Testament, the temple was in the center of Jerusalem, was in Jerusalem, and Israel's entire mission was a come and see. I see nothing in the Old Testament that says that Israel was ever supposed to go and tell. In the sense of seeking the conversion of the nations. Abraham was a father of one nation in the entire Old Testament period. He only becomes a father of a multitude of nations after the Messiah comes. Ruth the Moabite, before Ruth, sorry, Rahab the Canaanite, Ruth the Moabite, Uriah the Hittite, all became Israelites. They were not examples of Abraham being a father of a multitude of nations. They became part of the single nation. But the vision was that when the Messiah would come, all of a sudden things would go global. So we have prophecies that are both ways. On the one hand, it looks like Jerusalem is at the center of the world in Isaiah 2, and all the world is gathering to the temple or to the palace of God to hear the instruction of God and for the great king to work his justice. Here, you've got a king at the center and the coastlands are waiting for his law. But in Isaiah 49.6, the servant Savior, whose name is Israel, says, I have come in order to redeem Israel the people, but it's too light a thing that I would only redeem them. I will be a light unto the Gentiles so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. As if this is a, 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 a going and telling. Here's Paul in Romans 10. He cites Isaiah 52. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Why, where? To people that need it. Not saying, you need help, you come to me. No, the feet are going out, proclaiming the good news elsewhere. So, I'm seeing it as a, as a both and. It's not that there isn't a temple anymore and people don't have to go to the temple. Rather, what's happened at one level is the temple has grown and filled the earth. Jesus is the temple. We're in Jesus. His Spirit fills us. Now the church is going and from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, the temple, I mean, it's reached as far as Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's just expanded, crossed oceans. The temple is filling the entire globe so that people can come and see at their doorstep. At one level, it's go and tell. But what's also, you could also frame it as all that's happening is that the temple's expanding. As we image the presence of God faithfully through word and through deed, God's glory presence is being encountered. So we're claiming turf. The temple is growing when we proclaim the good news to people. Be it in Nigeria or 
in Ham Lake. We're proclaiming, and people are, some are hearing, some are rejecting, some remain deaf, but when they hear, all of a sudden it's like the temple just grew. At one level, it came to them, and they just had to come to Jesus. They had to come to Him, meet Him, find Him. But at another level, it operated because there was a go and telling. So, it's, it's both ways. So, in our passage, a law will go out, the instruction moving. By the presence of God from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth, the law is going out, make disciples of all nations. And then, at another level, there's a benchmark... I will set my justice for a light. This reminds me of Isaiah 11, verse 10, which you'll recall from whenever, last spring, I think. There shall come forth like a new garden of Eden, a shoot. It's just going to start a new life, a new creation. A shoot will rise up from the stump of Jesse. That's David's dad. And we're anticipating the new David. A new creation will be birthed through the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, a Spirit of counsel and might. We're talking about the days of the Messiah. When He will come and the very presence of God will be upon Him as if He's a movable temple. And then it says, In that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for the peoples, plural. Of Him shall the nations inquire and His resting place shall be glorious. So at one level He comes and the light begins to shine out. At another level... People are just coming to Jesus. But you can come to Him. You don't have to cross the sea and go to, through the Mediterranean and land on the eastern shores of the Mediterranean Sea in order to meet the very presence of the Word that became flesh. You can meet Him here, at the dining room table, at Perkins. You can meet Him right there, at the basketball court. You can meet Him. Because His presence has now gone global. That's why He had to leave. Jesus had to leave in order that He could send His Spirit and the Spirit would not be bound by skin and bones. The temple could expand and fill the earth through a bunch of people like you and me. So, it's come and see and it's go and tell. And both are images that the prophets are very comfortable in using both ways and both are true. Because the temple is everywhere. Lee. images that are are very are very comparable. God says, this is Isaiah 42, 
The Messiah will bring the justice. So justice is intimately attached to the Messiah. In Isaiah 42, a few verses later, it says that the Messiah will be set up as um, the light of nations. So he, he is a beacon, and one of the ways that he's a beacon is through law. Another way that he's a beacon is through or instruction. The other, another way is through justice. So um, they're all overlapping, probably not synonymous. Light is probably broader than just the justice. Light is wherever your darkness is, he's here to overcome it. But one of the key ways that that's seen is by the oppression that is so common in darkness is being overcome and God is bringing, um, through Christ, a ministry to the broken. Paul? helpful. Thank you. Looking at the end of verse 5. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Since the book of Exodus, God's arm has been this portrait of salvation, of strength, of deliverance. So God can say in chapter 46, I bring near my righteousness. It's not far off. My salvation will not delay. I'll put my salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. He's going to work salvation on their behalf. And our text says, He'll do it by His arm. And people are longing for that arm to arrive. A strong arm that cannot be defeated. What's beautiful in this book, and the arm of God shows up, I, I forget, five or six times, within Isaiah itself. But when we get to Isaiah 53, the arm is defined. Just turn right there. Isaiah 53, 1. What's the arm of God? Who has believed what He has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He. See if you track the logic. Whom, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For He grew up like a tender plant, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at Him, no beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed Him not. Verse 1 says, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up. Do you see how the arm of the Lord being revealed, Isaiah 53 treats that arm as if it's a person. That the strong arm of God is a person who has no form and majesty. The very one 
who bears our griefs and carries our sorrows, who is stricken, afflicted of God, who was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, that's the arm of God. By what means will He save? The nations are waiting for His arm to show up. To whom will He reveal it? He grew up like a young plant. He wasn't an oak from the beginning. He grew up through tribulation unto triumph. But that's the arm of God. So when I'm back in Isaiah 51 and I read the coastlands hope for me and for my arm they wait, they're longing for God to act in His saving way. And yet Isaiah makes clear That saving way is going to be through tribulation unto triumph in the life of the Messiah. We come to the main command of this unit. Pay attention. Okay, what do you want me to hear? I know why you want me to hear it. Because the law will go out for you. Justice will be for a light to the peoples. Ultimately, I should listen to you because through you is salvation by means of your servant. So what do you want me to pay attention to? I'm ready to listen. I'm ready to follow. Verse 6, Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. And they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will never be dismayed. That imagery of smoke, destruction, this isn't just random, I've worn my pants too long and I've got holes in them so I need new ones. Wearing out like a garment. This is the earth wearing out like a garment, the heavens vanishing like smoke because the judgment presence of God has shown up. Notice Isaiah 50. Behold my rebuke. I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness. My sackcloth their covering. Recalling the first exodus. That's what it was like when God's glory presence showed up in judgment against Pharaoh and his armies. After seven chapters of oracles against the nations of the world, we come to Isaiah 24. Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate. He will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. The earth mourns and withers. The world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth languish. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants. Why? Because they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth. Its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched and few men are left. Pay attention to me. What do you want me to hear? Behold, lift up your eyes and look around at the world that was unwilling to recognize me as God, unwilling to thank me as God, so I have given them over to their debased mind. I've given them over to their sexual immorality. But know this, when all of the world is burned up, 
my salvation will remain. Will you have ears to hear? Will you trust through punishment unto eternal salvation? Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Isaiah 12 is at the climax of Isaiah's portrayal of the second exodus. You know about the first exodus, but Isaiah envisions that a day is coming when you won't even be thinking about that as the basis of salvation. Because a new exodus is on its way. A greater, more superior exodus. And in that day, when sin is overcome, and the Messiah is lifted up as a banner for the nations, and all of them gather in, this is the song they will sing. God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. Isaiah 25. This is right after it declares, oh, this is where it declares, He will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The reproach of His people He will take away. Death has filled everything, yet He overcomes that death. And then He wipes away the tears. The loss, the pain. He'll take it away from the earth. And it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is Yahweh. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. The mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but My steadfast love shall not depart. It won't leave you. My covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. It's hard in the midst of just feeling the increased curseness of our world. It's hard to picture a day where the level of pain that even some of you in this room are feeling right now will fully be forgotten. But it's coming. It's coming. This is why Paul in Romans 8 says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Futility in hope. It wasn't subjected willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So we're living in a corrupt world, in a futile world that is passing away. And this text today says, pay attention 
Look around. Don't set your hopes here. Set your hope in God. This is a broken, cursed world where people are hostile, where cancer strikes. Don't set your hope here. Please, pay attention. You who pursue righteousness by faith. Look ahead. Don't get bogged down looking at the present. And put your hope in our God. So Isaiah's call thus far is listen, you who pursue righteousness, pay attention, my people. Pay attention today because instruction is coming. Indeed, it has come now. It has come and justice will be set up completely and fully as a light. So be among those who are hoping for justice. Be among those who are listening to the instructions of the servant. Father, thank You for Your faithfulness. Be our help this day, this week. Go before us. Be our rock. Surround us with reminders that there is better days coming. Care for the brokenhearted. Bind up their wounds. Thank You that Your salvation will last forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the ministry of Dr. Jason DeRoshi, professor of Old Testament and Biblical Theology at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Jason DeRoshi. For more information on Bethlehem College and Seminary, we invite you to visit online at www.bcsmn.edu. For more information on Dr. DeRoshi, visit online at www.jasonderoshi.com. Proclaiming the kingdom and treasuring a God who reigns, saves, and satisfies through covenant for His glory in Christ.